You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord, um, thank you for bringing us here together today. Uh, as I teach in your gospel, please speak through me. Um, and as we leave here today, please help us live out our lives um, as you desire us to, so that all others may see Jesus in us. Amen. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm Jackson Sharman. And uh, I saw Hughes Hole in the hallway um, this morning, and he thought, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to going to uh, the class taught by your father. And I was like, uh, oh, actually, that's, uh, that's me. Um, and uh, Cameron Cole asked if I'd be interested in teaching an adult Sunday school class, um, continuing the series, Narratives and Images of the Gospel in Scripture. And I asked Cameron, uh, what does that mean? What, what exactly are narratives and images of the gospel in Scripture? And uh, Cameron told me to think, told me to think of a, uh, of a passage or story in the Bible um, that I thought exemplified the gospel um, in a very clear way. And um, the gospel being that after the point of creation, there was the fall, um, a separation from God where, where sin was brought into the world. And um, we all know what comes after that, redemption. And much of the New Testament and what we'll look at today deals with that um, Jesus coming to the world and starting a ministry, and um, culminating in his dying for all of our sins. Now, uh, one story from Jesus' ministry that I've always been drawn to, and I feel like is a clear representation of his um, time on earth, is at the beginning of Mark 2. And um, this short passage displays the nature of the Trinity in two ways. Um, First, on an individual level, where he deals directly with um, one person's sins, and then uh, the second on a, on a world level, where Jesus proves God's power to fix um, the brokenness of humanity um, that came into the world with original sin. Um, these two relationships uh, really show God as a personal God. He knows everything about individuals while also being sovereign over all mankind. And um, this truth applies to everybody. Now, um, then, the story we'll look look at, and um, forever. Just for some overview on Mark, um, according to the early church, Mark wrote the book in Rome around the time that Peter was killed and martyred. And the book is addressing both Jews and Gentiles. It's really a book for everybody. And um, one detail and introduction to Mark that I read um, noted is that Mark is different from the other three gospel writers and that he includes um, specific aspects of Jesus' emotional side, um, giving readers an insight into both, quote, the humanity in and divinity of Jesus, and the twofold nature of Jesus we hear about a lot. 100% man, 100% God. Um, as far as the structure of Mark, there's a prologue, and then the narrative goes into Jesus' ministry in Galilee, and then it talks about how Jesus goes into Jerusalem, quickly conflicting with religious leaders there, eventually leading to his crucifixion. Um, however, Mark 2 
verses 1 through 12, what we'll look at today, is in the second section where Jesus is in Capernaum, um, a fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, and everybody should have passages, but I'm going to read it here. Um, when he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So, first, the individual level. This is summed up in verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this is a story that's told in Sunday school a lot. Spoiler, we know it ends with Jesus healing the man's crippled legs. But that's not what Jesus does upon seeing the man. Why not? Why doesn't Jesus address the obvious problem that the man's friends and the man came to Jesus for? Because Jesus is God and God is all-knowing, he recognizes that the man's problems are more than just physical. The deeper problems of the man are spiritual. The man's immediate need is to be forgiven of his sinfulness. I think this is just like us. Oftentimes we, or at least I do, come to Jesus with requests and desires and prayers, and we don't get what we want immediately, or often not at all. And um, I can relate to this story a a little bit personally. Um, I wasn't completely crippled, but almost a year ago now, um, in August, I had surgery on my left knee, and you know I was crippled for a few days, and then it gradually began walking again. And I remember praying and thinking a lot, God, I need you, I need for you to help me with my therapy. Give me a walk so I can go back and play lacrosse and get, resume normal life. So you know, time passed slowly, but those things happened. And I gradually got back to you know, at least being able to run on my, on my knee. And then February comes around, I'm starting to play lacrosse, feel good. And then same thing happens to my right knee, bad genetics. So I get surgery on my right knee, and I'm like, what the hell, God? Like I thought we were, I thought we were dealing with this back in the back in the fall. Um, and I think my my sole focus was that God was going to heal my left leg, and, and that was just going to be it. But in fact, I don't know the in, in purpose or what the whole design was. But I I was drawn away from the main point that God will provide for everything, and that's not always how we see it, but it's how it is. And we forget 
or I did, and we often forget that the greatest thing God for us doesn't have to do with anything what we want or, or think we need, because God knows exactly what we need. And the greatest act of God is that forgiveness of our sins that comes with the sacrifice of Jesus and us accepting that sacrifice. But, as we know, uh, the story doesn't end here with the forgiving the man's sins. As Jesus is sitting in the house ministering, um, there are scribes present, and I asked um, people, uh, Cameron and Brandon, a lot more knowledgeable on the subject to these guys might be, uh, uh, and I was told they were likely church officials who would be very familiar with the law as laid out in the Torah, we know as the Old Testament. And they're like, whoa, whoa, dude, hold on here. We know that only God can forgive sins. And we don't think this guy is God. They're just kind of sitting back and thinking this, doubting Jesus. And the scribes think Jesus is blaspheming because only God possessed the power to forgive sins, and this was a very grave, um, heretical act to do. Here the scribes are headed for conflict with Jesus because they're questioning his authority within themselves. And this conflict coming to a head um, is where we see Jesus exhibit his power um, on a world level that applies to all of us. So after Jesus forgave the man of his sins, there wasn't any real noticeable cosmic change. He said it, and it just allegedly happened. That's why the scribes challenge him. They don't come out and directly say it, but they're thinking it. They haven't seen anything to make them believe that what Jesus said happened actually happened. Um, again, because Jesus is God and he knows everything. He senses their doubt. And in uh, verse 8, Right away Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Well, after posing this question, the scribes tells the man to get up and walk. And he does. Problem solved. On the surface, it would appear that for a fraud, for someone who actually wasn't God, telling a crippled man to walk would be harder than just verbally forgiving his sins. But in healing the man and accomplishing the harder task, Jesus proves he can also do the seemingly easier task, the task that only God can do. Forgive the man's sins, thus proving he is God. The miracle Jesus perform, performs here also applies to us as another example of God's great divine power. It is evidence of what he can accomplish for us in our daily lives, just as he accomplished it you know, a thousand years ago. Just as he can forgive our sins, he can also heal all the brokenness in our lives. This story in Mark, um, I feel like, is about the clearest picture of Jesus and Jesus' nature as there is in the New Testament. Uh, he does for the man what he does for all of us. Um, forgiving our sins when we come to him with faith while also providing for every need we might have, even those unspoken needs, because he knows us completely better than we know ourselves. And it doesn't matter for us, fortunately, that Jesus isn't physically around us um, right now. We can't go to the house where he's staying when we have an issue. Um, I, get, I get a short verse in my inbox every morning, and um, one a few days ago that um, connects to this passage said in Philippians chapter 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think this is what the friends of the, the crippled guy were thinking. Uh, the guys brought the problem. They petitioned Jesus. They brought a request to him, and God, God's understanding, which transcends all of ours, worked a miracle. I think the real lesson to take away is God will always provide for every need we might have. He'll, he, he'll heal every ailment, ailment we might suffer from um, and forgive any sin we might commit. We come to him and accept uh, his son dies as our savior. And that is not just a very encouraging thought. It is um, the truth. Um, amen. That was pretty short, but if um, anybody has any questions or comments or letters to the editor. <laughs> Words to your mother. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Um, Jackson, what is so like a, this story obviously like stood out to you. What what do you think what do you think it is about the story that sort of lodged in your mind for you to like for this to do get picture of Well I think one of the reasons I really like the story is drawn to the story especially when I was younger, because I think the thought process of the friends was similar to like how um, me and my friends would think. Oh, we can't get in the front door. Why don't we just dig out the roof? That seems the logical next step. Um, but I do think that what, what uh, was kind of interesting to me was that we, t- we talk all the time, like the answer is always Jesus to everything. And Jesus forgiving the man's sins and then healing him is just a, a very straightforward picture of what Jesus does for us. You know, he was healing this man, and then we also come to him in the same way. It's not so profound, but I thought it's a very clear picture of what happens when we come to Jesus and what we do. What do you think the, um, the way that the friends do so go to such extreme measures to get um, get their friend to Jesus, like, how does that kind of serve as an example for us about the way our heart needs to be kind of oriented towards Christ? I think it's similar to the the woman in um, Matthew, who she suffered from bleeding for a number of years, and she, she just had complete faith in Jesus that if she touched the hem of his cloak, and Jesus didn't even... See, he felt the power go out from her. So I think these guys are similar. They had such complete faith, like blind faith, they never met Jesus. Um, just to go to him and completely surrender themselves. And it's probably a very embarrassing situation to kind of destroy a building to get to him. Um, and I think that's something we need to emulate, just coming to Jesus with complete faith. Um, and trusting that he will take care of those needs that we might have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. The, like, the start of the story starts out with this, you know, Jesus teaching, and there's this crowd of people that are you know, surrounding him, and these men can't get their friends through the door, but yet they decide, like you said, like, to all costs, they lower him down the roof. And it's also, you know, they're not the ones that are lame. They're not the ones that have broken legs, but yet they see, like, Jesus is their only hope. And so, you know, they're so inconvenienced that... 
they don't stop. Like at no cost, they stop to lower their phone down. And, and all really to bring them into relationship with Jesus. You know, they're not bringing them in to hear. And that's what the Lord does for us. Like through Christ, he brings us back into relationship with God. And so mm-hmm. you're saying it's that, that beautiful picture of we can come to the Lord for these physical things, but really they've brought him, you know, to the feet of the one that, that really is the only one that can heal, you know, all of that's going on on such a deeper level. And so we see that mirrored, you know, in, in Christ bringing us to the Lord. Um, and I looked up like how would this actually look like what do these houses look like how, how arduous of a task would this have been and these these walls were pretty I mean these, these roofs were pretty thick because people would go up there and sleep and then work and so it'd be like yeah, the, the houses were um, wide enough as the two trees that they could build a wall on the back from and then they'd, they'd branches across them and then they would thatch them and then daub them with mud um, so this has been a, a major excavation project to um, hollow out this roof and then lower the guy down. Mm. I think it's evidence of their faith. And this a sense of desperation. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's probably where we get most um, kind of complacent and blind in our own spiritual lives is like we desperately need Christ and his grace. We desperately need God and his word every day. And we tend to, we like the, the way that they, like you said, four of them haul their friend up on a roof, dig through the roof, shows like a desperate need for Jesus that, um, that we usually only are aware of when we're struggling or things aren't going our way. Yeah. And so just how costly the gospel is. I mean, the sense that it costs these men so much, but also even to see who's saying the words, like, your sins are forgiven. It's like, it's like, you know, for them to be so outdone with the fact that he's going to be God. And so that ends up costing his life on the cross. And so we see, mm-hmm. you know, just this picture of, like, the cost that the Lord would go for us, that he would go that far to have us be his. Um, it's just a costly, so just the cost of the gospel and the cost of the spirit. Um, sorry, one more on the spot question. Sorry, one, of the, one thing I'd say in that too is like, I think I've read this and we can give the scribes like a bad rap. But like, let's, I mean, if someone came into our church and was like saying, I forgive you, you know, we'd say like, you're a heretic, you know, mm-hmm. like, we'd go haul them to the back dumpster and set it on fire. No, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know they they were not aware that this was like God Almighty you know, in their presence. Um, all right, so an on the spot question, and uh, I'm going to put the uh, put the old people old people being non students on the spot. Um, what would you say like you know, okay so a lot of times we wake up um, on a given day and we think like we have a circumstantial need like for me every day I wake up and like I gotta get everything done. Everything on my list has to get done. That's kind of my, I think that is my ultimate need. Um, what would you say for teenagers are uh, things that when they wake up in the morning, circumstantial things that they see as their ultimate need outside of Christ on a given day? On a given day or just big picture of high school? I think during school it was always like, I got a test today, the you know, test tomorrow, uh, social life, I got my extra cooker stuff to handle and it was just like thinking in, in four to eight hour cycles not really um, thinking about long term well, what am I 
what, what big problems in life am, are, are I handling right now? And kind of during the summer, you're looking like college. What more long? You're, you have more time to think about, you know. But it, it's still um, very short term, kind of what's going to happen next for me as um, like the obstacles I'm going to face in the next coming months or so. Yeah. Yeah, life is kind of, the quality of life for a teenager generally vacillates on how much work they have in school. Yes. You know, from the, from the, uh, in the trenches perspective. Um, how about uh, turning on old people now? Um, us old people, I'm including myself in that category. What will we say are, are circumstantial things that we think are, are our ultimate need when on, on, a, on a given day, when in, when in you know, insofar uh, as we forget Christ is our like biggest need on a given day. I think a cool one of the cool things about the story is how, like you said, they come thinking that, and he, I mean, let's not let's not in any way disparage fact this guy is paralytic. This is not a, this is not you know returning clothes to TJ Maxx like, uh, or you know getting getting some special tomatoes at Whole Foods like, this is a legitimate uh, you know real need. Um, but even in that, Jesus, you know, kind of. Reorients them to his biggest need is in the spiritual realm. His biggest need is for his sins to be forgiven. His biggest need is is to have uh, Christ in his life. So I think it's I find them for myself like the quality of my days. There are times when I like wake up and I like immediately get out of bed and start working, like before I do anything else, rather than days when I wake up and I immediately like spend time with the Lord and kind of. Recognize that that's that's really the first thing I need. Um, the, the 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 quality of my day is completely different depending upon how I am at the start. Whether my see my biggest need is in Christ or my biggest need is in my circumstances. Yeah, Karen, that, earlier. So you think his friends were like they they went to all this trouble to lower him down from the roof or whatever. The friends are like. Oh, it's great and all that he's he's forgetting for his sins, but can we have really walk? I mean, it took it, you know, they probably, probably were like, like mm-hmm. <laughs> not what we were shooting for. <laughs> yeah. What do you uh, do? You have a thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the friends and the the guy would just be like, I mean, great, thanks, and maybe the guy felt like, oh, yes, I do need my sins forgiven, but that, like you said, that that is not the reason he came to see Jesus. So just kind of you know lying there like all right what now um, 
but then I think maybe I think Mark's definitely a storyteller here. Like he's really going for the the arc of the story. Like he doesn't talk about how it might have been awkward for Jesus to continue teaching when the you know rain or mud was falling down on everyone's heads. So I, I think he's less concerned with with that and more concerned with emphasizing the specific points in the story. He's forgiven of sins and he's healed rather than the actual you know order of it. And what sacrificial love too that we like most definitely we wake up in the morning thinking like what do we need? Like what do I need? Yeah, these four men, you know, they're not thinking about their own needs. They literally just sat down and they don't even get to like be down with Jesus. They're still up above looking in. And how much of like I think my heart tries to like, oh, if I could just think about, you know, that sacrificial love like not talk about in Ruth of really let me wake up seeing how can I serve other people the same way that, you know, Christ has served us. I think it would be kind of just an interesting response. I think it's an interesting response too because he is paralytic. So, you know, my brother has Down syndrome and it's like, I think we as people are inclined to like have a lot of compassion on people who might have a special need. And so I think that response would be jarring in some ways to the average person too, which I will say, my brother is sinful, even with Down syndrome. <laughs> you know, I mean, so it's like I think that's something that we um, I think about how they probably did. I think that's interesting about the story too, because you don't necessarily think of a paralytic person in their sinfulness, because you think they've got a lot of problems already. You know, um, and so I think that is you know, interesting to think about, and maybe why it's such a good example of what we all really need and none of us really like to talk about or acknowledge our sinfulness because we would much prefer to acknowledge our problems. Hmm. So, anyway. Good work. Um. Do you have any other thoughts about Jackson? Not at the moment. Nope. <laughs> I think one last thing I would kind of throw in is you know, Mark is writing his gospel uh, in opposition to Caesar. Like the Romans would say, Caesar is Lord. And that, you know, Caesar was upheld like a god, a divine figure. And Mark is saying clearly that. Jesus is the Lord. That's that's kind of the uh, bold statement in the Book of Mark, and this would this would be very provocative in the Roman world. And just to see here that, you know, what Mark is saying, and you touched on this, how um, scribes say, "Who can forgive sins but God alone?" Uh, the Lord. And and I wonder what the Greek is for forgiveness. No, for God, I dare. My sense is it would be um, uh, the, uh, not dominus, that's Latin, what's Greek? They are. Okay, they ask would be Lord. Oh, God. That would be God, but what's curious? Curious, that's it, yeah. Um, anyhow, is, you know, Jesus is very, Mark is very clearly saying, hey, 
Jesus is Lord, like this is God Almighty, um, not Caesar. Uh, and, you know, just I think that in some ways we kind of forget that about Jesus. He's become like our buddy, the person who helps us out, the person who we get back a little help from our friend Jesus. And how provocatively Mark is saying, like, you know, Jesus is God Almighty. He is Lord. Um, yeah. Yeah, we have to remember the context in chapter 1. John the Baptist coming on the scene, he's quoting Isaiah. God himself, the one who rescued him from uh, Egypt, he is now coming to you in Jesus. So it's that God, the creator who has come to rescue you. And he's showing that here in these stories. God delivering his people from sin, disease, and death. Mm-hmm. Well, Ms. Charman, would you like to pray us out of here? Sure. And sign autographs after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord, again, thank you for bringing us here together today, and I, I pray that um, you spoke through me, and um, everybody may leave here today with um, some better understanding of uh, your nature and um, the great plan you have for us. Um, in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.